the assigned gospel, the assigned good news, the assigned story about Jesus, whatever we want to say, for this week comes out of John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. Now, it's a pretty brief snippet, so let's go ahead and read it. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. That is the gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. As a pastor, there's this little thing that we like to talk about sometimes as other duties as assigned, which basically means that you don't really have a super tight job description. Things are going to come up and you're going to deal with it. That's true. That is the case. And recently, over the course of the last couple of weeks, one of the things that I've been working on is a constitutional amendment. Now, doesn't that sound fun? Have you ever dealt with like governing documents or, or, or something that's a lot of legal language and things like that? Admittedly, it's kind of strange. And when you're talking about an amendment of changing it, which my congregation, my, my church is gonna be doing here in the upcoming future, you have to go through a process of, of really explaining and putting together this resolution that outlines why you're doing it. And I'm not going to lie to you, I probably had a lot more fun doing this than I had any right to. And it comes down to, as you're preparing this resolution, it's, you make the statement, because this is true, that then means this. And because that is true, that means this. And because that is true, that means this. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. And as I thought about that and the strangeness of me enjoying that so much, I was reminded of something else that I used to really enjoy back in my high school days when I took geometry. Now, maybe you've been through geometry before, and if so, you're familiar with the idea of a geometric proof. And it's this very linear, logical flow of ideas and thoughts. Because this is true, that means this. And because that is true, that means this. And because that is true, it means this. In my head, especially in those days back in high school when I was actually taking the class, it just clicked. I just understood it. It just worked for me. But I know that other people really, really struggled with it. They just couldn't seem to wrap their heads around it. And the same is true for me in other situations. There are other types of thinking or types of understanding that I just don't get. And I think that's true for all of us. Now, if that is in fact the case, and I think it is, we all have something in common with this guy named Pilate that we hear about in the story today. Someone who's struggling to understand. Now, before I get into that, I gotta give you some background. If you're of the, the church-going type or, or you're familiar with the story of the Gospels and the story of the Bible, this might sound familiar to you. If you're not, I'm going to fill you in just a little bit. So we've got Jesus, who we profess to be God, the divine, who became human and came among us. Now, Jesus has spent the last three years prior to this time, prior to this moment, teaching and preaching 
and performing miracles and doing all kinds of things that point to this very abstract idea that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the divine, has come near to us. And he's displaying methods of power, of God's power, freeing people from things that hinder them, like illnesses or sicknesses or injuries or things of that nature, and also proclaiming the dignity of people, the equity of people, that those whose society has said are, are, are not of worth are still of worth in the eyes of God and therefore should be in the eyes of one another. It's, it was a, a, a threat against the illusion of power and the illusion of prestige and all that which we humans tend to think of, oh, that's so wonderful. He was telling us, nope, it's gonna be completely different. Because of this, he's earned a lot of fans, but he's also earned a lot of opposition and a lot of enemies, people who really didn't like what he had to say. It was such a threat to them. Jesus was such a threat to them that they wanted to shut him up. And if history shows us anything, it's that if you ultimately want to shut somebody up, the best way to do it is to have them killed. But some history, they didn't have the authority to do that because Israel at the time was not self-governed. At that moment, they were controlled by the ultimate empire, the ultimate power that be at the time, and that's the Roman Empire. So what they wanted to do, they had to answer to the Roman authorities. And the Roman authorities in that moment, in that place, were represented by this guy that we heard about named Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor. Now, he was the ultimate authority in the area, but he also had to answer to Rome and to Caesar and to the, the, the authorities that were above him. He was an authority, but he was also just one cog in the larger wheel. This is what brings Jesus to Pilate in the first place. He's brought there because Pilate has the authority to order his death, which Jesus' opponents were unable to do. But before Pilate's going to do that, he's got to try and figure this guy out. He's got to try and wrap his head around this Jesus guy, and why is he even here in the first place? Now, for Pilate, being a political figure, being a governor of the area, he understands things from a political standpoint, and that's the lens that he's trying to view Jesus through. And we hear about that in this back and forth. Are you a king? That's the question that Pilate is trying to, to get answered by Jesus. Because if he can get a straight answer to that, then Pilate knows what to do. If Jesus comes out and says, yes, I am a king. I am claiming the status of king. That means that he is defying the Roman authority and he can be executed as an enemy of the state. And they'll do it through crucifixion, which was the intended method to make it a giant, bad, bad example of him. If, on the other hand, Jesus is not claiming to be a king, then Pilate's asking the question, then why are you even here in the first place? Why are we even having this conversation? That is the question that lies at the heart of this encounter. But what I think is so funny and perhaps such a head-scratcher at the exact same time is that Pilate just can't get a straight answer out of Jesus. Are you a king? And Jesus says, well, well why do you ask? Are you asking this on your own, or did someone tell you something about me? Well, I, I, and then Pilate responds, well, I'm not one of your people. I have no idea what this is about, so, so why are you here? And Jesus kind of gives him another not very straight answer. He says, well, if I was a king, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being here. 
So my kingdom's not from this world. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, you're a king. Oh, well, you say that I'm a king. No, I didn't say you were king. I'm asking if you're a king. They go round and round and round and round and round about this. And throughout the course of this entire time, not just this brief back and forth, but the, the part that came before it, as well as the part that comes after it, Pilate can never get a straight answer. And he doesn't really seem to think that Jesus is much of a threat but he also gets that something's going on here. And so ultimately, he caves into pressure, even though he was the authority, he caves into pressure and does brand Jesus as an enemy of the state, and Jesus will be crucified because of that. But this brief encounter, as well as the larger back and forth, illuminates a truth and something that I think we all have in common with Pilate, and that is we can't quite wrap our heads around this, can we? We all have the tendency to try and put God or Jesus or the kingdom of heaven or the reign of Jesus or the reign of Christ or the kingdom of Christ or whatever we want to call it. We all want to put it in a box because if we can put it in a box, we can define it and then we can say, okay, now I've got this. But the divine mystery that is both God and Jesus and everything that goes along with it will not be defined. It will not go in a box whether we like it or not. Now, full disclosure, I tend to think as of Pontius Pilate as being one of the bad guys. And he is, but at the same time, I can relate to the guy in this moment because he's just trying to understand and he's not getting anywhere. And that is the truth for all of us like we've been talking about. We just can't grasp it. So what do we do with that? What do we make of this whole situation when we fully acknowledge it doesn't make any sense? Sometimes that mystery is okay, and sometimes it's really, really, really frustrating, and I get that tension. I live in that tension, and maybe you do too. So what do we do with it? Well, as we consider all of these questions, and all of this mystery and everything, I go back to the reality of the scriptures as a whole, the entirety of the Bible, not just this small passage, not just the gospels, but all of it from start to finish. And over and over and over again, throughout the course of the scriptures, we have the story of this God who has made a promise to somehow be near to us. That we have a God that does not desire to be far away and unknown, but we have a God that has shown us time and time again that God desires to be found among God's people. And this manifests itself in many different ways, in many different forms, at many different times, but I believe culminates with Jesus, with God taking on flesh and being among us as one of us. Because in doing so, God, that which is unknowable, become somehow tangible, something that we can see, someone that we can hear and experience for ourselves. And as I think about all of that, I'm also reminded of a specific passage. It's one of the other texts that's actually a sign that goes along with this gospel text for this weekend. And it comes out of the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And it's full of lots of very strange imagery that we really struggle to wrap our heads around. But it's also filled with many promises that I find very hopeful. And one of these promises is actually found in the greeting, in the very first verse. And I'm going to read that for you. This comes out of Revelation verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Grace to you and peace, so it's a greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and him who was and him who will be. 
Now, this is referring to God. May the grace and peace of God be with you. The God, and who, which God? The God who is and who was and who will be. Now, I appreciate that so much, but isn't it feel like it's a little bit out of order? Shouldn't it, as we think about things in a linear flow of time, shouldn't it be the one who was and who is and who will be? That would make sense, right? But that's not the way it's worded. It's switched up. The one we have first is the God who is. And as I thought about that very subtle distinction, it seemed to me as utterly subtle and yet very, very significant because the truth of our reality is we can only experience that which is right here, right now. We can remember what was. We can imagine what will be, but we can only experience that which is right here, right now. And the promise is that God is in one way or another right now. Now, from there, I'm going to elaborate just a little bit into this Lutheran expression of faith, of, of church, of whatever we want to call it, that, that I'm a part of. One of the central aspects of this branch, of this expression of faith, is something we call the sacraments. Now, that's another big fancy word. A sacrament is basically a practice in which we take a physical element, something tangible, and it's partnered together with the promises of God commanded to us through the scriptures by Jesus. And together, those bring us the tangible promises of God in a real form that we can experience. Now, there's two of them. Those physical elements include water in what we call holy baptism. But more importantly, one that we're going to practice here within my congregation this weekend is one we do often. It's called Holy Communion. And those physical elements of bread and wine, the promises of Jesus of this is my body broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you and for all people. And why? For the forgiveness of sins. To overcome that brokenness and those limitations that are a part of all of us. And why? Well, because God loves us and God claims us and God will be with us. I so, so love this expression of faith in which we take these tangible things and together with the promises of God, we experience those promises in something we can touch and taste and feel and experience literally right here, right now. I fully admit, when we think about this idea of a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven, Jesus as king, it's a very strange concept to try and wrap our heads around, and we know we don't get there. And we also are left scratching our heads when we remember that the very promise of Jesus tells us it's both right now and it's not yet. It's come near to us now, and yet it's not brought to fulfillment. And what do we make of all that? Well, folks, admittedly, I don't know what to make of that, but I trust in the promise that is made by God to always, in one form or another, be right here, right now, in a way that we can experience somehow, even if it feels strange, even if it doesn't seem to really all the way line up and compute, the promise of God is that God will always be found with us. And if God is always found with us, that means that we are never alone. And that whatever this whole reign of Christ thing will ultimately look like when the kingdom of heaven comes into fruition out there somewhere in that unknown future, the God who, who well, the God who will be will still be with us just as the God who is, is right now. Blessings to you on that. Amen.